This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. As you know, we are now entering our second week of themed shows. And so each day of the week, we're tying to... um, the theme of that particular day. So today is Mental Health Mondays. We have Throwback Tuesdays, Wisdom Wednesdays, Theological or Theologian or Theology Thursdays, or Faithful Followers Friday. So with today, with Mental Health Monday, remember we are using as a rough guide um, a book called A Christian's Guide to Mental Health Answers to 30 Common Questions. We are not going through all of the questions of the book, so we are skipping some along the way. But this just came out by David Murray and Tom Carroll Jr. I had the opportunity of studying under David Murray, so some of this is what I encountered in seminary classes there. And Tom Carroll actually was a member of the church that I attended when I was in Grand Rapids. I had the opportunity of being the youth pastor for his daughters, and so kind of fun to read a book from authors that you actually personally know and have have encountered, and so... I can hear their voices as I'm reading a little bit more. So whether that's good or bad. Well, it, it helps because you know the character of the person that's written it, and so you can respect them and recommend it to others. Yeah. Today we want to deal first with the question, what are the different kinds of mental health? And it really falls into two main categories. So if, if you guys want to just talk to the, the listener through, what are the two categories of mental health? So Murray defines them as uh, primarily mood or affective disorders, uh, and then primarily mind or thought disorders. So some of the mood disorders, these are probably all common terms. We hear a lot about them in the media and probably in in our own communities. Primarily mood disorders are things like anxiety, which can be a a general anxiety disorder um, or social anxiety, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress. Uh, panic disorder, and then specific uh, phobias, and there's a whole bunch out there. Um, I do suffer from one of those, arachnophobia. No, no spiders for me. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, you know, I, it's good to know. There's times in it's your not. life where you just kind of <laughs> playfully make fun of things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I've got PTSD right now, and mm-hmm. you're just kind of playing around, right? Mm-hmm. I, I did have an experience several years ago now, it's probably five years ago, where I, I, I physically experienced that. Where I was put into a situation that brought back a whole wave of things at that moment that my body um, reacted to physically. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, so that's what it's like. That's what it feels. I had never experienced that before. But in that moment, I'm like, okay, I, I get what PTSD is. Mm-hmm. And I think in the relationship to these uh, mood affective disorders, these are areas where people can help people. You know, a pastor can help. Uh, a friend can help. These are areas in which we can we can to use the phrase seek treatment from one another, because 
Somebody can help us with our anxiety. Somebody can help us with our, you know, our our panic and our particular phobia, or uh, guide us through a depression. Those are things that we can help with. The other, the other category that was mentioned was the primarily mind thought disorders, and these are these are much deeper. These are physical. This is like schizophrenia and psychosis. You know, these are. These really do need you know, medical treatment very often. One of the things they point out, we haven't covered, but in Chapter 2, that it's important to remember that, that as we talk about these, that, that we, these are labeling problems and not people. Um, this isn't like a category. I think we talked about this last week, is that for those people experiencing these things, it's important not, that we don't just classify them, and then that's the new identity that they receive, but that they, they particularly in the Christian faith, they, they are Christians who might be experiencing fill-in-the-blank with a particular mental illness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a situation, maybe I've shared this, I don't remember, but where I, I had an individual that, that was dealing with schizophrenia, and he was on medication, and so when he was on his medication, it, it, he functioned very well, mm-hmm. but there was a moment where he went off his medication and I had agreed to meet with him in my office and didn't realize the extent that the medication made a difference and he was completely off his medication. And it actually is one of the most scared I've been in life because he his, his sense of reality at that moment was so altered mm-hmm. that things that weren't real were very real for him. Mm-hmm. And I was having to try to address how do I even engage? Am I engaging with the 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 non real world that he's created, or am I going to engage in in the reality that I know to be true? And I made a decision that I was going to enter into his world and engage in that world because it felt safer. Because when I was engaging in the real world, he was becoming very angry. Hmm. Um, so I I got to witness firsthand just that that how much the mind had been just altered and his struggle with not knowing what was real or what wasn't real. And and he was living an entire, it was so fascinating for me that he wholeheartedly believed that what he was talking about was true and it wasn't. Um, But his mind was so off in that moment that he believed it to be. So, I mean, this is a real thing. It's a real Mm -hmm. thing, and, and, uh, you know, I think that we have to have a great deal of sympathy for families that are dealing with that because they may not – they're not suffering that, but they're suffering from the person with this this psychosis, this um, thought disorder. And it is like – it's like a synapse that's missing, and if they have the right medications and if they're taking it, and and so what happens is when that person is taking it – then eventually they think they're in control again, and then they go off, and then that, and it starts the whole cycle all over again. And um, what Jonathan was saying earlier is so true. Like in that moment, I could not really help him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could, I could try. I could mm-hmm. be compassionate, and I could mm-hmm. listen. I could hopefully keep him safe, but mm-hmm. I couldn't truly touch the, the root of the problem. Right. I was just putting band-aids on on the issues. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of the the mood affective disorders, Jonathan's correct. I mean, in those moments we can come alongside and and help with those that are struggling with anxiety, depression, 
and be a helpful Christian brother or sister. Yeah, it's important. I think that's one of the hopes of the book is is that the these are not final declarations, but that through uh, medication or community, they can be mitigated. You know, the, the mm-hmm. symptoms, uh, like the individual you described, Russ, when he's on his medicine, rational, engaging with objective reality, isn't stuck in the psychosis. There are there are ways that we can treat these and, and that can be treated. And they don't have to be a, a, a final declaration about an identity. That's right. The second question we want to deal with in our remaining time is, how is mental illness different from ordinary sadness, anxiety, and confusion? So, one, what is the difference? Why does it matter? Yeah. Murray offers a helpful description here. He says the goal is to distinguish between a normal abnormality. So, sadness, anxiety, and confusion are not a normal condition, but they are a, a normal experience. And so, if, is this a normal abnormality? That is, am I just experiencing regular sadness or regular anxiety or regular confusion because there is something really to be sad about, something really to be anxious about, or something really to be confused about? I get a little anxious before every wedding or funeral that I, that I have the opportunity to lead and officiate because you only get one of those. Sunday sermons, there's another Sunday coming. But if you screw up a funeral or wedding, everybody remembers. Well, that's a normal abnormality for me to feel mm-hmm. anxious about as opposed to an abnormal abnormality. That is, are my circumstances and my situation safe, and yet I'm still feeling this anxiousness? There's nothing, There's no mm-hmm. direct stimuli that I can point to. So we're going to spend some time using as a case study sadness. How did you, How to dis- distinguish between normal sadness and abnormal sadness? And I think this is helpful because then you can extrapolate this out to other areas. So you could apply this to, you know, anything else like normal worry and abnormal like anxiety. So however you want to, you can use the same, hopefully, framework. So first, the measure and degree of the sadness. What is meant by that? Yeah. How well, deep is this sadness? Is it, you know, how intense is it? Does it come and go? Is it? hang around for days or weeks or you know is it uh, is it different from the time times in the past these are you know i mean you're doing some investigation about this you know is it constant or is it erratic um you know so there are things that uh, and then you know so you're looking at the degree because as you know benny was pointing out there are certain anxieties or there are certain things that will happen to us that we can be sad over how long does it stay around and that leads into the second one, the circumstances of the sadness. Yeah, this is what I was talking about. Is there a rational stimuli that would that would create this emotion or feeling? So, has there been a painful loss? You know, did is there a job loss, a, a, a death of a loved one, um, a, a medical diagnosis that you've received? Um, those are times for for grieving. Um, uh, has there been a painful disappointment? Or, um, do, were your expectations unmet? Were you really excited about something that's been that's let you down? Um, has there been a painful event, um, something that's directed you, excuse me, something that's affected you directly or those within your family that you just need to sense a time of grief and, and give yourself permission to grieve over? Yeah, and, and it just points out, you know, if we answer no to those questions, it's most more likely that we're experiencing actual depression and not simply sadness. Whereas if we answer yes to any one of them, then it's tied to those circumstances. And it's just as, you know, Vinia, like, like what you said there at the end there, you know, we, we need that time to grieve. If, if there are circumstances that are truly sad, we can kind of fall in the trap and as Christians and think, Oh, you know, I just need to, I just need to get by this. You know, I just need to move on. You know, I need to, you know, 
is a good thing to do. Look to Christ. That's where my hope and glory is and just need to get past. Yes, we look to Christ, but he was also known as a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief. And it's important for us to go through that grieving process. And that leads to the third one, the duration of the sadness. As we think about the 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 degree and the circumstances, there are things that are going to bring us to a place of of struggle with sadness and, and whatever it might be. But the the question is, well, how long does that last? Yeah. Is there's a normal quote unquote normal stage or phase of sadness? Yeah. I, we lost my dad pretty pretty quickly in twenty nineteen or just from the fall of 18 to the spring of 19, he, he was diagnosed with cancer and, and passed rather quickly. And I, the night that he passed, the sadness and grief was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I mean, just floods of tears. And yet four years later, while there still is a sense of general melancholy about my dad's death, it's it's not as heavy or as real as it was that night. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's a sense that, that while the grief remains, it's not a continual, I'm not continually feeling that intense grief that I did on the same night that he's passing. That's something to to ask yourself around the sadness and grief you're experiencing. Is it as deep and real as the, the first time you, you learned of the stimuli that caused the sadness? Mm-hmm. And this flows into the last, um, the impact of the sadness. It's one thing to be sad. It's one another thing to be completely immobilized right um by it um, and so this is the degree that that's talking about yeah you're, you're with the impact you're asking questions like is it impairing my functioning in in my work or my responsibilities my ability to plan and organize my life is it do i have a decreased motivation uh, because of it or diminishing of my energies so those those kind of um, diagnostic questions will tell you if you need more help, then I'm going to get past this. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We'll see you tomorrow.